Hello, fellow saints, and welcome back to Come Follow Me with Brother T. We're going over Alma, chapters 36 through 38 today. And this is Alma who's counseling with his sons about the great plan of happiness. And he starts off talking to Helaman for the first two chapters, and then he talks to Shiblon, his middle son. Uh, we're not going to go over the talk with Coriantumr, but those will be the next chapters to come. And these are both two faithful sons, so we're able to get some good, relevant content for us today. Chapter 36 is basically a poem where it's written in poetic style, and the poetic style is a chiasmus or inverted parallelism. And this is a classic Hebrew writing style that where you start off talking something and it builds to the central point, and then once you get to the central point, the central point is reiterated, and it works backwards until you reach back to that first point that you made. And this is a very common uh, literary technique that's used in Hebrew writing, and it builds the case that Lehi did, in fact, come from Jerusalem, that these people are, are children of Israel and descendants of the Israelites. I want to quickly review the chiasmus in this chapter right here, and then I want to get into the doctrine of what Alma is really trying to convey and teaching. So first off, we're going to go from the start and end. So we're going to start at both ends, and we're going to work our way to the middle, which is the central theme. Verse 1 says, give ear to my words. Verse 30 says, this according to his words. Verse 1 says, keep the commandments of God and ye shall prosper in the land. And verse 30 says, keep the commandments of God and ye shall prosper in the land. Verse 2 says, do as I have done. Verse 30 says, know as I do know. Verse 2 again, remember the captivity of our fathers. And then verse 29, retain a remembrance of their captivity. Verse 2, they were in bondage. Verses 28 and 29, he has delivered our fathers from bondage and captivity. Verse 2, he surely did deliver them. Verses 27 and 28, he will deliver me and raise me up. Verse 3, trust in God. Verse 27, trust in him. Verse 3, supported in their trials and their troubles and their afflictions. Verse 27, supported under trials, troubles, and afflictions. Verse 4, I would not that ye think that I know of myself, but of God. Verse 26, my knowledge is of God. Verse 5, born of God. Verse 26, born of God. Verses 6 through 9, I went about seeking to destroy the church of God. Verse 24, I labored to bring souls to repentance. See the switch now. Verse 10, neither had I the use of my limbs. Verse 23, my limbs received strength again. Verses 14 through 15, I thought that I might not be brought to the presence of my God. Verse 22, my soul did long to be there in the presence of my God. Verse 16, the pains of a damned soul. Verse 20, joy as exceeding as was my pain. Verse 17, harrowed up by the memory of my many sins. Verse 19, harrowed up by the memory of my many sins no more. And then we get to the very central theme. Verse 17, I remembered one Jesus Christ, a son of God. And verse 18, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou son of God. So here you have this great literary technique where we get to really explore in there how he comes to his conversion in such a beautifully expressed way. Now let's jump into what he's really trying to say. And remember, this is his conversion story. And he starts out with his conversion story in verses 1 and 2 by going over history and the covenants of the promised land. And he's talking about the children of Israel, which is a theme that goes over and over again. And verse 3 says, And now, O my son Helaman, behold, thou art in thy youth, and therefore I beseech of thee that thou wilt hear my words and learn of me, 
For I do know that whosoever shall put their trust in God shall be supported in their trials and their troubles and their afflictions and shall be lifted up at the last day. And how relevant is that for us today? It's, he's not saying that there's not going to be any trials or troubles or tribulations, but that the Lord will support us in those and will lift us up at the last day. He talks in verse 5 about being born of God, and then he launches into his whole conversion story. And we've gone over this, and Alma has covered this many times, and it's a great story. It's one that we can really learn from, although it's not something that happens to very many people. But let's point out some of the highlights here. First of all, in verse 10, it says, And it came to pass that I fell to the earth, and it was for the space of three days and three nights that I could not open my mouth, neither had I the use of my limbs. So there again, symbolism of Christ. And and by the way, this is a common criticism. People will say there's some discrepancies in Alma's story because it says earlier in, in another chapter, actually Mosiah chapter 27, verse 23, that the priests fasted for Alma who was in a coma and they fasted two days and two nights. And so many people thought that Alma was only in the coma for two days and two nights. But here it's talking about two different things. Alma's was under, it says right here, for three days, but the priest didn't find out about it for about a day. And that's when they started their fast before he gained his strength there. And then 11 through 17 talks about Alma's repentance, his conversion. And he talks about how he was tormented in verse 12, eternal torment, harrowed up the greatest degree, racked with all of my sins, remembering the pains that I'd rebelled. And this is what President Benson said about those types of feelings. He says, it is not uncommon to find men and women in the world who feel remorse for the things they do wrong. Sometimes this is because their actions cause them or loved ones great sorrow and misery. Sometimes their sorrow is caused because they are caught and punished for their actions. Such worldly feelings do not constitute godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is a gift of the Spirit. It is a deep realization that our actions have offended our Father and our God. It is the sharp and keen awareness that our behavior caused the Savior he who knew no sin, even the greatest of all, to endure agony and suffering. Our sins caused him to bleed at every pore. This very real mental and spiritual anguish is what the scriptures refer to as having a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He goes on uh, to talk about repentance, Alma does in verse 23, says, But behold, my limbs did receive their strength again, and I stood upon my feet and did manifest unto the people that I had been born of God. Let's talk about what it means to be born again. This is President Benson again. He says, Repentance means more than simply a reformation of behavior. Many men and women in the world demonstrate great willpower and self-discipline in overcoming bad habits and the weaknesses of the flesh. Yet at the same time, they give no thought to the master, sometimes even openly rejecting him. Such changes of behavior, even if in a positive direction, do not constitute true repentance. Repentance involves not just a change of actions, but a change of heart. So being born again, having a change of heart, truly repentance is more than just changing behavior. It is changing our heart. It's changing who we are and what we are, coming closer to that light, being more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes on in verses 25 through 29, he goes back to the history of the chosen people. And that's how he concludes his chiasmus. This is how he concludes his literation to his son, Helaman. And then he jumps into chapter 37 and he talks to Helaman about focusing on the value of the scriptures. And these are some great scriptures in through here. And in one through five, he entrusts the records 
all of these records that they've been keeping for so long, he entrusts them to Helaman, and Helaman's going to write in them after Almagon. Let's read verse 6. It says here, Now ye may suppose that it is foolishness in me, but behold, I say unto you that by small and simple things are great things brought to pass, and small means in many instances doth confound the wise. Great scripture that is, and he's talking about how just keeping this record, what it seems so insignificant, what they're writing about, and the record that they're keeping for their future generations, look at what it that record has done for us today. What it's done for you personally, but also what it's done for the history of the world and what it will eventually do for the history of all mankind. And this is what Elder Ballard had to say. He said, we observe vast, sweeping world events. However, we must remember that the purposes of the Lord in our personal lives generally are fulfilled through the small and simple things, and not the momentous and spectacular. Great and marvelous events seem to motivate us, but small things often do not hold our attention. Noting that the Liahona worked by faith, Alma stated, Nevertheless, because those miracles were worked by small means, the people of Lehi were slothful and forgot to exercise their faith and diligence, and then those marvelous works ceased, and they did not progress in their journey. Is our journey sometimes impeded when we forget the importance of small things? Do we realize that small events and choices determine the direction of our lives, just as small helms determine the direction of great ships? We need to have family and personal prayers, study the scriptures, particularly the Book of Mormon, hold family home evenings, follow the admonition of the Savior to love one another and be thoughtful, kind, and gentle with the family. Through these and other similar small and simple things, we have the promise that our lives will be filled with peace and joy. Look at verse 19 here. He says, And now behold, one purpose hath been fulfilled even to the restoration of many thousands of the Lamanites to the knowledge of the truth. So talking about the record already had already brought thousands of the Lamanites back to the fold, just like many of these brethren, these good prophets had prayed about. So in some ways, that prophecy had been fulfilled, but it's still going to be fulfilled more. In fact, he says it, he says in the rest of verse 19, and he has shown forth his power in them. And he will also still show forth his power in them unto future generations. Therefore, they shall be preserved, talking about the record of this people in ancient America, known as the Nephites and the Lamanites, etc., etc. And this is what Bruce R. McConkie said. He said, what then is the power of the Book of Mormon? It will proclaim the everlasting gospel. It will gather Israel. It will build the new Jerusalem. It will prepare a people for the second coming. It will usher in the millennium. At least it will play such an important part in all of these that its value and power can scarcely be overstated. Here you go. Small and simple things. In verses 20 and 21, he discourages Helaman from sharing the full account of the Jaredite records. And specifically, he doesn't want Helaman to share the secret combinations. And I want to take a moment to talk about this because oftentimes, the church is criticized for withholding what people think is information or not being transparent. The other thing that happens quite often, especially in the church, but this happens in history all the time, is something called presentism. And that's where people of our generation, people in our times, will project our morals, our ethics, those things that we know and that we've been enlightened with, onto the past and, and onto people in the past, when it was a different age, when it was a different scenario, when we don't know all of the facts and we don't know the truth of how they were living or what their mindset was. 
we judge them according to the current models of those knowledge and ethics. And that's, that's inappropriate. It doesn't work because you can find faults with just about anyone. And I'm sure that future generations will find faults with us as well. So you have to look at that. And also sometimes withholding information is not about transparency. Sometimes it's just about protecting people. People aren't ready for this bit of information yet. Remember, the Lord says he's going to give line upon line, precept upon precept. And he takes away knowledge and truth when people are wicked. So be careful with that and don't let it shake your testimony. And finally, I feel like the church has been really good about being transparent and not letting those sensitive topics go unspoken of or undiscussed. In fact, you can find just about everything on the uh, website, churchofjesuschrist.org, and and there's a whole section on special topics that you can look up and find that type of information. And this is what President Packer taught about teaching about sin. He says, I am convinced that two of the major mistakes are to teach too much about the subject and to teach it at the wrong time. I know of more than one instance in which a young person has been led to experiment in gross and perverted immorality because of a suggestion that originated with his bishop in an interview. Those who teach, and I refer to leaders, to teachers, and to parents, should keep in mind this message. Picture a father and mother leaving home for a period of time. Just as they go out the door, they say to their little children who are to be left unattended during their absence, Now children, be good. Whatever you do, while we are gone, do not take the footstool into the pantry, and do not climb to the fourth shelf and move the cracker box and reach back and get sack of beans and take a bean and put it up your nose, will you? Some of us are just that foolish. The humor of the illustration is wry humor. When you think of the first thing that happens after the parents are gone, surely we can be wiser than that. That's a great analogy, right? Sometimes we don't want to teach about things that don't need to be shared because it puts information into people's heads that is out of context or is fairly irrelevant. Instead, what do we teach them? 33 says, preach unto them repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach them to humble themselves and to be meek and lowly in heart. Teach them to withstand every temptation of the devil with their faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 34, teach them to never be weary of good works, but to be meek and lowly in heart, for such shall find rest to their souls. Finally, verse 35, one of the scripture masteries, it says, Oh, remember my son and learn wisdom in thy youth. Yea, learn in thy youth to keep the commandments of God. And I love that scripture especially, learn to keep the commandments in your youth. And it's not that we can't recover if we don't keep the commandments in our youth, and it's not that there's not repentance, but I think that most converts would agree that they wish they'd had joined earlier, that if they'd had the gospel as a younger person, life would have been a lot easier. And think of all the time lost in learning. Now, the eternity, it doesn't matter, but in this life, it does And then in verse 37, he gives this great information to heal him. And he says, counsel with the Lord in all thy doings, and he will direct thee for good. And he gives us a model for prayer as well. He says, yea, when thou liest down at night, lie down unto the Lord, that he may watch over you in your sleep. And when thou risest in the morning, let thy heart be full of thanks unto God. And if ye do these things, ye shall be lifted up at the last day. What a great way to pray. Pray unto the Lord at night, but be grateful in the morning. Start the day being grateful. Finally, he teaches him to use the liahonas, 
that are given. He talks about Lehi and the Leahona, and he talks about our Leahonas today. And we do have Leahonas today. And it's great to have those same Leahonas. President Monson said, the same Lord who provided a Leahona for Lehi provides for you and for me today a rare and valuable gift to give direction to our lives. The gift to which I refer is known as a patriarchal blessing. President Kimball said, the Lord gave to every person a conscience which tells him every time he starts to go on the wrong path. Every child is given it. And Elder Bednar says, as we each press forward along the pathway of life, we receive direction from the Holy Ghost, just as Lehi was directed through the Leahona. The Holy Ghost operates in our lives precisely as the Leahona did for Lehi and his family, according to our faith and diligence and heed. And the Holy Ghost provides for us today the means whereby we can receive, by small and simple things, increased understanding about the ways of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord can be our guide and will bless us with direction, instruction, and spiritual protection during our mortal journey. And that's what he concludes with in terms of following our Leahona, using those things which we are given, which we are blessed with. If we're receptive to the Spirit, we can use that as a Leahona. And then we go into chapter 38. In chapter 38, he's talking to Shiblon. And this is pretty short counsel. Shiblon was obviously very righteous. And in verse 2, Alma praises him for his steadiness and for his faithfulness and keeping the commandments and enduring to the end. And I love what he says in verse 3. He says, I say unto you, my son, that I have had great joy in thee already because of thy faithfulness and diligence and thy patience and thy long-suffering among the people of the Zoramites. And apparently Shiblon had a pretty tough mission because in verse 4 it talks about how he was in bonds. Uh, so we're assuming that he'd been, been put into jail and then he was also stoned for the word's sake. So he had a rough go at his mission, but he was steadfast and he was steady. And he talks again to Shiblon about trusting in the Lord, just the same as he talked to Helaman, and about how the Lord helped him become converted. And he talks about his conversion story again. And then he says in verse 9, a little pearl here, he says, And now, my son, I have told you this, that ye may learn wisdom, that ye may learn of me that there is no other way or means whereby man can be saved. Only in and through Christ, behold, he is the life and the light of the world. Behold, he is the word of truth and righteousness, pure testimony about the Savior Jesus Christ. Here's a great bit of advice for all missionaries, including us who are member missionaries. In verse 12, he says, Use boldness, but not overbearance. And also see that ye bridle all your passions, that ye may be filled with love. See that ye refrain from idleness. Great missionary scriptures there. And one of the things that I want to just point out right there is the boldness. I love being bold as a missionary because we do have the truth. And on my mission, one of my favorite friends out there, he was never my companion, but Karis Holmstead, Elder Holmstead. And we used to always say, if you're not bold, you're stupid. So we would go around and we would invite people to be baptized boldly. But there is a point where you can be overbearing. But when you tell people exactly what you're there for and why you're there and the love is behind it, it's not overbearing. It's just bold. And this was true when I came home for my mission. And I have some friends who are now good, faithful members of the church. They've been through the temple. They came to me. I hadn't seen them in a long time. They found We found each other again. I was their chiropractor uh, back in another city. And they came to me and they started saying, hey, you know, we're, we're interested in checking out churches. And they knew that I was religious and they knew that I was a member of this church. And they said, you know, something to the effect of, well, we're going to check out a bunch of churches. 
And I told them very boldly, I said, that's great. Check out all the churches you want. When you're ready for the fullness of the truth, come talk to me because you'll only find it in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Very bold statement, but very true statement. And they were very impressed by that. In fact, they didn't go around checking out other churches. They called me up that night and said, you know, that really impressed us. We want to hear the missionary discussions. Can we take them at your house? And they did. And they took those missionary discussions and they were baptized not too much longer after that. And a year later, they went through the temple. And I'm very grateful to be able to be part of that. Finally, at the end of verse 12, he talks about bridling our passions that ye may be filled with love. And this is a great quote from Elder Bruce Hafen. He says, Is self-denial wise because something is wrong with our passions or because something is right with our passions? Alma taught his son, See that ye bridle all your passions, that ye may be filled with love. He did not say eliminate or even suppress your passions, but bridle them, harness, channel, and focus them. Why? Because discipline makes possible a richer deeper love. And if we look at the symbolism of the bridle, what does a bridle do? It controls a beast and harnesses its power for good. And isn't that the natural man, right? Aren't we just beasts if we are not controlling it? If we cannot control our passions, we're no better than the beasts. But the truth is that we are sons and daughters of a living heavenly father, that we are striving to become like him. And in order to become like him, we have to learn to control the natural man, to control this mortal body with the spirit so that our souls are perfected, that we can someday have a perfect resurrected body that's completely managed by the spirit. And that's the key to exaltation and becoming like our heavenly father. I'm so grateful for this counsel and knowledge that we can get from Alma to his sons and apply it into our daily lives. Remember that at the center of everything is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who makes it possible for us to return to live on high with our Father in heaven. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. And I know that to be true, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can reach me at drjaredthomas at gmail.com or text me at 916-412-2136. I would love to hear from you and how you're enjoying the podcast or what you're learning or even just some of your own thoughts. Make it more interactive for me, please. Thank you and have a blessed day.